At Alina Health, it's our mission to provide exceptional care, prevent illness, restore health, and provide comfort to all people in our community. Here's your host, Melanie Cole, with the WellCast. Cutting and self-harm are ways that some individuals who may be experiencing deep distress or emotional pain alleviate some of those feelings. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Paper. She's a board-certified psychologist with Alina Health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Paper. So this seems to be something that is becoming more prevalent. It's scary, especially with teenagers and girls involved. Tell us a little bit about cutting or self-harm and why is this feel good to some people? What's going on? Yeah, it is something that's really confusing and terrifying for parents, especially cutting or self-harm, which can also include burning or um Picking at yourself or even sometimes hitting yourself is a behavior that's used by teens and young adults typically to manage uncomfortable feelings. So as odd as that sounds, that's their attempt to cope with or manage uncomfortable feelings that they are overwhelmed by. And they use it for a very different reason, sometimes to communicate or sometimes to numb themselves, sometimes to make themselves feel something. It has a lot of different uh, complex functions that are really hard to understand for people on the outside. If these are hidden things, like cutting people wear these long sleeves and such, is it a cry for help? But if nobody sees it, then how are they crying out? Oftentimes, it's an attempt to avoid allowing others to know that they're in that much pain. They're trying to manage it on their own. They're not talking to their friends. They're not talking to their family about how much hurt they have inside. Parents are often completely surprised that their adolescent, that their child was in that much pain at all. Oftentimes these can be overachieving teenagers too who just don't want to overburden their parents with their problems. So they try to use cutting or burning themselves to avoid needing to even ask for help or let people see their weaknesses. Is this something that parents if they find out their child is doing this, is this something they need to worry about will then lead to suicide or not necessarily? Not necessarily. I mean, there is that relationship with if somebody's in that much pain and they're that desperate to feel better or to not feel so bad, they are at greater risk for suicide just just by that alone. Um, And then they're also not just talking about their feelings. Other people are using healthier coping skills. And so that increases their risk for suicide, but self-harm itself isn't practicing at suicide or or attempts that haven't um, succeeded. So sometimes, as odd as this sounds, it can be a way for people to avoid suicide by numbing themselves or managing their feelings. That way, they're less, they might even be less likely to become suicidal. So who typically does this? Are there certain risk factors, red flags you really want parents to hear about this? Who is most at risk? There does seem to be a relationship with trauma. People who have been through something really hard, very scary, terrifying, something that led them maybe to hate their body or feel uncomfortable with their body, which um, then makes them more likely to lash out at themselves. Kids who are teenagers who seem depressed but aren't talking about it might be at greater risk. Um, It does seem to happen more in girls than boys, but boys definitely are doing some self-harm too. 
and it does seem to be much more common in Caucasians, but that doesn't exclude other races. Individuals with eating disorders are also at a greater risk for self-harm because they're already doing some form of self-harm to their body by um, their abuse of food. So tell us what people should do. And, and I know someone personally that has experienced this, and I know how frustrating it was for the parents in what path to take. So what do you do or not do when you suspect that someone you love is, you know, indulging in self-harm? Right. I think um, the most important thing to not do is not to say that this is about attention, that this person's trying, just trying to get attention, especially that we're just, just trying to get attention. Anytime somebody's in pain or in distress or not feeling well, they need extra attention and they should seek out attention and that's perfectly okay. But framing that it that way is really invalidating and even hurtful. I also think over-focusing on the cutting itself can um, reinforce the behavior or provide some secondary gains to the use of the behavior. I think it's much more important to focus on what's causing them to feel that much pain and the pain that they're in and uh, talking about the feelings that are there and the situations that are there versus did you cut, when did you cut, show me, what did you do, what did you use? Because then you're only talking about the cutting and you're completely avoiding the actual problem. So the behavioral therapy, the counseling, all of those things, but then, as you mentioned, show me, when did you do it, how did you get the equipment, do you then also involve yourself in that? Is there a little bit of policing going on? As the, as the therapist, no, I don't do that, no. I focus more, again, on the situations and the feelings. I do sometimes have them show me just so I can get an idea of how bad it is and where they are in the progression of cutting because it can start out sometimes as fairly superficial, but just like any drug or um, addictive behavior that's used to manage feelings, people often need more and deeper, and so it can get worse pretty quickly. Um, in therapy, using CBT or um, dialectal behavior therapy or even art therapy, um, sometimes I use drama therapy, I like to focus on building up the distress tolerance for the person's ability to to handle uncomfortable feelings, work on expressing emotions, managing emotions, and developing healthier coping skills that will replace self-harm. What about for the parents, Dr. Paper? Mm -hmm. They're going through this treatment with their teenager or as an adjunct to their loved one. Do they, how do they not police the situation? That can be really hard, and there has to be a balance, too, because they I've talked to teenagers who will say things like, my, you know, my parents know I'm cutting and they still left all the knives out. They still left the razors out. They must not love me. You know, they're so sensitive to any perceived rejection or, or um, hint or that they're not cared about. So I think you have to take away the sharp things and monitor that, but not allow the cutting itself to be the means of communication. And so opening up the dialogues, even when they're, especially when there's not cutting, and saying, what are you feeling? What's going on? I noticed this. Let's go do something fun. You, you know, you seem like you had a bad day. Why don't we go do this so that you can feel better, whether it be, you know, go for a walk. And walking itself will uh, elicit more conversation. Or if it's like, let's go to your favorite place, or how would I make your favorite thing for dinner? Just working on um, providing those nurturing and coping experiences pretty naturally. 
That's great advice for parents. It really is because what a scary situation and self-harm would seem to be and as a parent, something that you feel out of control about. So please offer the listeners your best advice, Dr. Paper, in cutting and self-harm and what you want them to know so maybe they see the light at the end of the tunnel if someone they love is doing this. Definitely, I definitely get your child in to see a professional, to see a therapist, a psychologist, so that you don't have that sole responsibility and burden on your hand because it is terrifying. It's really scary, and that's also just another way to communicate to your adolescent that you care about them and you don't want them to be hurting that much. My favorite book is Scarred Soul by Tracy Alderman. That's an excellent book for teens who are going through it and for parents. And once, your par- um, once the parent has the child in therapy, remember that you can schedule appointments with that therapist for a family therapy session without the patient there. You can talk to the therapist for support and encouragement. And remember that the chances of them accidentally killing themselves is pretty low, not that that's completely reassuring. And also, even without treatment, most people stop cutting around age 30 or so. And so that can provide some relief to parents who know that they have their kid in treatment, so the chances of stopping cutting is going to get even better uh, with time and maturity. That's great information and really gives hope to those people with loved ones. You're listening to The Wellcast with Alina Health. And for more information, you can go to alinahealth.org. That's alinahealth.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.